Hello and welcome to A Cast of Entrepreneurs, brought to you by the Entrepreneurs Forum. I'm Elaine Stroud, Chief Executive of the Entrepreneurs Forum, and together with Sally Cowling, our Head of Marketing, we've been talking to entrepreneurs from all over the Northeast about what it's really like to be an entrepreneur. We're getting the real insight into their lives and businesses. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. We are absolutely delighted to bring together today's audience. And we have with us today, we have Paul Blake from the Newcastle Eagles. Hi. We have Sarah Thackeray from Beacon House Events. Hi. And Chris March from Allies Group. So welcome to the podcast. Delighted to have you here. And I think we'll just get straight into it. Sounds good. So I also have with me Sally. Uh, do you want to kick off the questions? I can do, yeah. So I think we want to go back, right, take your minds back to your early days and how you first sort of came upon your idea of, or if you ever had an idea that you were going to be an entrepreneur, or if this is something that's just evolved over time. So starting with you, Paul, because I don't think being an entrepreneur was your first job. No, 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 goodness, it wasn't. So without going into too much history, I, after graduate, after graduating, I was a, a lecturer, degree lecturer for a couple of years, then worked for a small business uh, for an entrepreneur and, and, and saw what, what he put into his business, then ended up um, in a marketing role at uh, Newcastle United, still as an employee. Three years into that role, the football club decided to um, divest of the Falcons, Eagles, and the Cobras Ice Hockey. Uh, Falcons, Rugby, Eagles, basketball. You know, all of a sudden, given the opportunity potentially to uh, run an MBO on one of those three teams uh, with my my then boss, a chap called Ken Nottage. And uh, we were both kind of ex-basketball players, strangely, and thought that the there might be an opportunity to uh, to do a, a management buyout on the on the basketball. And uh, so, so you know, took three, four months to, to make that decision. The next day, I'm an entrepreneur <laughs> by default. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, I suppose 20, 26 years later, the rest is, is history. So not something that you'd planned, really, just no, something that no. kind of fell into your lap almost. Yeah. Excellent. And Sarah? Well, my journey is probably a bit different. So I started working in corporates, Procter & Gamble, IBM. I was in HR services and uh, relocation, moving people around the world. And I liked that sort of atmosphere and, and work environment, but... I found it quite frustrating that there were lots of barriers to progression because it was a large, obviously, setup. And so I, I basically, ultimately, after 18 months, thought I wasn't going to be able to move quick enough and, and progress and, and get more senior. So I decided to jump ship, take a pay cut and go to a tiny event management agency in Newcastle. Stayed there for four years, um, worked up to director level and there, enjoyed it, gained loads of experience and then thought, you know what, I should probably do this for myself because... Actually, I'm motivated to do it for my clients, not really for my boss. Sounds bad. But um, so I thought, well, I'm going to work just as hard and just as many hours. So I might as well do it on my own or with, with other people. So I went off and decided to be a freelancer. So I built up again, kind of from scratch simultaneously, um, having my first child, um, managed to kind of juggle things, took him to a lot of events in his car seat, rest fed him in all sorts of crazy places and meetings change nappies on very expensive law law firm tables, boardroom tables, and I was in there for a meeting, which was hilarious. So, yeah, 
and then um, after freelancing for a few years, uh, decided to set up as a limited company um, with my business partner, Catherine Coulter, who actually I'd met at my first agency and we'd come back together um, and then we grew from there. So that was nine years ago, nearly. Excellent. And Chris, always an entrepreneur? Um, I, th- I think, I think, yeah, I think it's been in me for a long time and, you know, just happened to stumble on it. I mean, I was working for the regional newspaper uh, in Newcastle, so NCJ Media, was quite successful, worked in an ad department, probably where I met Sarah, you know, years ago, um, and uh, got a call one day from a chap uh, who was running a uh, portfolio of beautiful magazines outside of London, uh, asked me to meet him at the train station in uh, Newcastle, which I did, and he offered me a job, which was great, and I went from having a, a Ford Focus company car to a, a Jaguar overnight and doubled my pay, uh, which was lovely, uh, and ended up running a portfolio of luxury magazines for celebrity chefs, uh, hospitality venues, uh, fashion houses throughout the country. So people like the uh, the Living Room Group, Living Ventures, Bobby Castle, Hillwood Group, lots of beautiful things. And then did that for a couple of years, was very successful, uh, but kind of looked at what he was doing and thought, I think I can do this for myself. So set up my, uh, set up my first business uh, called uh, Room 501 uh, in my dining room in a terrace house that I lived in, in in Sunderland, basically. Oh, I thought you were going to tell us you had 501 rooms and you just picked one of them no. to start it up no, no. With, your ja- with your Jaguar. Actually, no, we had this grotty office in, uh, in Gayshead. And we were on the fifth floor in room 501, basically. Uh, and so that's where the name came from. Oh, I see. The story of the beacon house name as well. Okay. You meant to say that it's because you follow the light, there's a beacon, and it helps you guide the way. But actually, it was the name of my next door neighbor's house when I set up my business. So I lived in colour coats on the seafront, and you know the beacons that they line up mm-hmm. to come in. So the house next door to mine was Beacon House because it was the lower one, so you could see the beacons. So I basically stole the name of my next neighbour's house. What was the name of your house? Well, it's just number 41. Just <laughs> 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 Nearly 41. 501. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, um, Paul, was the Eagles... Your name, or was that franchise already in play beforehand? So uh, the history goes: the the franchise um, originated in Sunderland, play, played at Crowtree, Old Crowtree Leisure Centre, which is long gone now. Uh, and the franchise moved to Newcastle Arena. Uh, the, the the arena opened. It was called the Comets for a year, and then Sir John swooped in with the the whole sporting club idea. And changed the name from Comets to Eagles, and that was ninety six, ninety six, ninety seven. So, so we took the club over, and, and as sometimes happens in our league, that new owners do like to put their own stamp on it and change the name. But I just didn't think that was appropriate. Three years of investment had gone into building that brand, you know. Sir John and, and, and the club had spent a lot of money in doing that. And same same as with the Falcons and the uh, um, the Cobras. So, we felt it. It was appropriate just to stick with that brand, you know, as much as we could have changed it, we didn't. So, Sarah, you obviously had started your career in corporates and then made the leap into a world of doing your own thing. Yeah. What what was your thought process 
around that decision to to leave and did it did it feel like a big life-changing moment for well, you well it wasn't it wasn't i suppose a huge decision because i was still quite junior because i was only sort of 24 when i left the you know 24 25 so it wasn't like i'd worked up for years and and you know was very senior so i suppose it was less of a risk to move and actually i really like that i do think i'm quite well also suited to the corporate world because i quite like that sort of structure but for me there wasn't enough autonomy you couldn't sort of do whatever you thought was a good idea. I mean, I'm not saying you should ever be able to do anything. You know, uh, you wouldn't, I wouldn't want my team just to do absolutely whatever without kind of consultation. But I do think there was no real space for ideas and sort of for you know, innovation, which may well have changed now because that was a, a long time ago, you know, nearly 20 years ago. So potentially now there's a lot more innovation in these places, I'm sure there is. So yeah, but for me, it was it was a bit restrictive. So I wanted to be able to sort of take ownership and achieve something proves that I could do something really well and then progress really. So that's and, and how do you keep that sort of entrepreneurial spirit in your businesses? So you're all successful entrepreneurs and you know that that spirit is what's driving you on to have a successful business. Mm. So really you don't want to turn into big corporates that you know mm. might stifle innovation how how do you keep that alive in your organization and let people have have that free reign i guess to to be themselves i think the bigger the bigger you become the harder that gets it really does i think you know when you're a business of you know 20 people it's really really easy to influence the culture yeah. when it gets bigger than 30 40 50 then it becomes really difficult and you've got to really work hard at keeping that kind of entrepreneurial culture going and 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 I suspect spending a lot of money doing this as well. So yeah, it's it's fairly easy for so me, you know, mm. I don't know about guys here, but fairly easy for me because, you know, we're of a certain size. Uh, so people see me every day, people get influenced by me every day. I'm in the office, uh, we joke around and, you know, they uh take the piss out of me every day basically um but the things that i do rub off on them yeah well the, the leader's mirrored so yeah people copy you don't they if you're the leader at whatever stage you are but if your team are visible to you they will copy your behaviors we had a well well-known uh player coach uh, a guy called fab floor and i played for us for a number of years he's, he's yes. in the nba now and um the analogy being because he was a player coach he, if he saw a problem, he'd step on court and join the team and fix the problem. We don't have a player coach now. We have a coach. And, and the analogy is very similar. You know, the business grows a bit bigger. Uh, and we, we've gone through this where we, we've had those those lovely years that Chris has just mentioned there that when, when you're below 20, everybody tends to be in the same office and they all see you and you're all, you're all bouncing off each other. As, as it gets larger, the hierarchy comes in and there are people that, I now don't see on a daily basis. Um, communication becomes a bit harder, and, and uh, it, it's uh, it becomes a different a different beast essentially. And uh, that that is what we're evolving into now. And, and I do look back and think, you know, it, it's kind of good to be a bit smaller. I think that's actually why we're in our plans. Even though we have some growth plans at the moment, there's only nine of us. I don't really have ambition to get larger than. 20 sounds it seems absolutely huge that to me what why do you need to do that if you get the right work and you dismiss the work that isn't right for you then you can stay at the right size 
but deliver the really cool work that everyone wants to deliver. Because if you get big, the problem is you have to feed the machine, don't you? So then you have to yeah. start taking all sorts of stuff in that the team don't really want to do. And then that changes the culture itself. So I think we're working hard at the moment to try and sort of finesse our client portfolio and go after things that we think really fit with our culture and our strategy and our business and our people as well and what they want to do. Absolutely. I think having said that, I'm, I'm sure there are businesses out there run by entrepreneurs that are big businesses that still have that ethos that runs through them. I'm positive there are. Don't you know, I couldn't give you an example, basically. But I'm no, sure I was, was going to name drop Opencast, one of our clouds. Oh, right. yeah, you know, yeah, they're yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. From an outsider's yeah. point of view, we do work with them as well yeah. deliver all their events. So, you know, they're great too. Well, they actually had Mike O'Brien, oh, who was the chair, uh, the owner of Opencast, on the podcast this morning. Oh, we oh, are talking a lot about the yeah. So, yeah, he's fabulous, Mike, and, and all of the team. And I think they're doing a good job because actually I think with tech, very fast-growing tech companies, it's actually relatively yeah. difficult to keep that culture on. Yeah. Um, as they scale, isn't it? They're great offices as well. Yeah. Concierge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so when you, when you started your businesses, and this is probably a question for for you, Chris, what was the size that you envisaged it becoming? Did you think that you would end up with around 20 staff or did you have visions of having hundreds of staff or was it not really on your agenda at the beginning? Uh, I think it depends on which business you, you, you're referring to. Um, if I go back right to the, the very first business, which was which was room five hundred one. I started it with a with a couple of other directors, and we thought we could, you know, we we grew that business over five years, grew it to about one point three million pounds, um, and then and then successfully sold it um, thereafter. Uh, probably too soon, in fairness, but um, I, th- I think we. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember going back to that time when you wanted to take over the world. So, you know, the, the bigger the better. And, you know, I think uh, it was that, you know, vanity sanity thing of, you know, wanting to be the biggest, the best. Mm-hmm. We we produced some brilliant stuff. Uh, we, we, we bought something out called BQ Magazine back in 2007, which Sarah yeah, will be aware of and hopefully a lot, a lot of other people will be. But, um, you know, it was really successful. And we rolled it out across across uh, different regions of the UK, and we kind of changed the face of publishing in in doing that, particularly in the north. So, I suspect at that time we were saying you know fifty, sixty, but in reality we probably got to about twenty. Mm. That, you know, at the time in that business as well. Paul, how about you? Um, when you had the chance to do the MBA, what was going through your mind about the size and scale of the opportunity you were buying into? So now I was twenty eight. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, not not, not dissimilar to yourself. Uh, completely naive uh, marketing graduate, done a bit of lecturing on marketing, so I thought I knew what I was talking about. And actually, you know, our, our, our marketing folk, the best people to 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 go into general management when we uh, like to speculate to accumulate. You know, we like to spend. Uh, probably not. So so my my naive view coming into it was. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna change the brand. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. I've got to, I've got to get more TV. I've got to get more press. I've got to do all of these things. And you know, who's looking after the finances? <laughs> we want to win basketball games. We want to fill the arena. That was that was really it at that point. Um, if I look back now, and you know, the twenty eight year old me, could we have employed a bit more strategy at that point? Yeah, yeah, probably. But it was it was really survival first and foremost. Um, because it, it hadn't been financially successful in the 
uh, in the football club days. So it was just really, how do we keep this thing alive? So we didn't have many staff to start with. Um, and, you know, myself and, and my now business partner collectively took the, the club on, but uh, it couldn't afford both our salaries. So Ken, Ken actually um, took a job at uh, Gloucester Rugby Club as um, chief exec there. So that was a big move from northeast back back down to southwest. So there was a, there was a bit of that, and it was just just give it a go. Really, I don't think we had any. If I look back at it now, I, I essentially had a choice to take a redundancy package from the from the club. I'd interviewed the day before for a commercial uh, manager's role at Leeds United, believe it or not. And, and, and in driving down that afternoon, I, I just decided in the drive down, we're going to, you know, we're going to give this a go and just take the club on and see where it goes. So I, I just have to say, really, um, I, I, I think we're a lot more strategic now than I was than I was then. It was just give it a go. I guess that's entrepreneurial. Yeah. Isn't it? Sometimes you have to give things a go and take a few risks. Yeah. Um, but with hindsight, perhaps a little bit more strategy is sometimes quite useful. Yeah. Would I do it again now, aged, you know, mm. just 51? I, I would think a lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> and is there anything from this, if you sort of roll back the years again, is there anything that you sort of wish you'd known then when you first started out that you know now? Oh, I, was thinking, I was thinking about that. Yeah, there's loads of things. And I think one thing that you think when you start out is that everyone knows everything and you don't know it. So it's like imposter syndrome, isn't it? And I do think that what you forget, what you don't, don't realise at the start is that everyone has imposter syndrome in some form at every stage, I think, of their career. If you get thrown into a new situation, whatever it might be, uh, you can still feel unconfident or, oh God, how did I get here? And and I do think that when you start out, you feel like the only one who doesn't really know what they're doing, but actually you realise you learn so much along the way and you know a lot from the beginning that others might not know. So for me, it was just just be confident and talk to people and, and listen to loads of people and, and learn yeah. and share what you know with others. It might help them, you know, and so just sort of be confident enough to say, I'm new into this. I know, I know what I know, but there's loads of things that I don't know. So let's just, can you help me? You fumble your way along, don't you? And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think probably on my fifth renditions of this <laughs> at the moment and, uh, you know, assessing your businesses, it's pretty simple. Very them. That's the hard bit. I don't know about you guys, but I'm still learning every day. I turned 50 in January and I'm, I still learn something new every day. I'm sure I do, you know, and we all don't know it all. We really don't. Mm. Uh, but there's lots of support networks, mm. for, for example, lots of people that are willing to put some time aside to to help you. I think that's a really good thing about the Northeast mm. is that, you know, people will give you some of their time, which is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So on your fifth business then, Chris, that's um <laughs> yeah, not you're doing quite well, aren't you? <laughs> they're not all being successful. What's the sixth one gonna be? Well, I've got no clue. Um <laughs> but there will be one, I'm sure. So you obviously enjoy it if you're on your fifth one. My my enjoyment is is growing a business. I probably stop enjoying it once it's grown and it becomes hard work. And that's being really honest. Um, I enjoy growing a business. I enjoy taking something that's a concept and making it work. And then when it does work and you've got all the trudge of running it, that's when it becomes bloody boring. Um, so yeah, I like crazy things. I do, I do think you can evolve your, 
your one business. So I've only you know, had Beacon House events and I, and I know exactly what you're saying, that once you got to a certain point, and we're still small, but once you've done and you've got the team there delivering everything and it's all running well, I do think you can create opportunity for yourself in your own existing business. That's what I'm doing, you know, in terms of looking strategically at other things now uh, that we can do. Yeah. And so it'll still add to the bottom line and, and grow that business, but it's maybe looking at new things rather than just doing the grind. Because I do agree with you that that can become, you know, and I've run events now for 20 odd years, you know, it's, I don't really want to deliver events anymore, like all the detail of them. Yeah, me either. But, <laughs> but, <they're speaking. laughs> but I do do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and people love it. And so I think as long as you listen to what people want in, in all spheres, including everyone that works in the team, then try and mould it a bit. So that well, I guess that's one of the benefits. If it's your business, you can evolve it in whichever way that suits you yeah. to keep you motivated and interested. Absolutely. And keep reinventing it in different guises. You really yeah. can. I mean, I've, I've done that with the latest business, uh, Allies Group, was, was basically two businesses. It was Remember Media and, and Digital Allies, which you know, we're running and growing independently for, for five or six years uh, before deciding to uh, put them together and, and form the Allies Group. And that was, you know, that was challenging. It was interesting. It was it was really good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can, you can certainly change what you've got, in, you know, that you're currently running as well. And I guess one of the things that you do have, regardless of what the business is, you always have that responsibility hat to wear and responsibility for all the staff that you employ is that something that you relish or is it something that weighs heavily on your shoulders that's the hardest part of the business ultimately um communication and managing of of, of staff it's uh you know you often hear people say you know a one-person consultancy is is a great business to be in because it doesn't come with the complications around around um building those structures and trying to lead everyone in the same direction you know because everyone has their own views of how something should work and how something should happen and you know just thinking back to the previous question when we all started out we we'd be sticking uh, pieces of paper in envelopes and posting them uh, and we'd be on the phone a hell of a lot more than we are now i would suggest Um, our life is completely ruled by emails now and, and, and way too many of them so we've We've had to change. That's been part, you know. That's been part of an exciting development in how we we operate our businesses. It's different now to what it was 25, 20, 25 years ago. But those people that the millennials and the the people that are twenty years younger than me that work work for our, our business will tell me on a daily basis, "Well, why don't why I'll be using this piece of technology, and why aren't we doing this?" And don't you know what TikTok is? Um, you know, that's 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 today's challenge, isn't that? I suppose keeping up to speed yeah yeah definitely but i think um, having the people in place in your team who do know these things you know they always say surround yourself yeah, with people who know more than you yeah, and that's really what i that's what i like to do and yeah. i think you know there's so many people in our team know so much more than i do and, and are much better at delivering events than, yeah. than me now and that's amazing and uh you know the technology is is huge even in, yeah. you know, in the events industry so and I mean, actually, through you talked about the responsibility of having staff, and for us in the events sector, when COVID hit, of course, was pretty much a nightmare because you know that was our whole business was running. Ninety six percent of our business was running face to face events. Four percent was probably doing something by a something that no one would re- you know join me or one of these other things. It was, yeah. it was Skype or whatever. Um, and then you know it was a huge worry when this hit that. We said to the team, my business partner, Catherine, said, guys, just, you know, lock yourselves down. This might last a month. Yeah. 
a month or two or whatever. And, uh, you know, we'll get through it. And then after a while, we're like, okay, yeah, might be a bit longer than that. Um, but, you know, the responsibility of keeping the team you know, happy in jobs and, you know, we were able to use the furlough scheme a bit. We, we cut loads of costs out of the business and gave up the office and, you know, and, and managed to keep everyone, luckily. Um, so that was, Incre- that was pretty easy for me. It must have been a crazy time for you as well, Paul. Wow. I mean, you're running a an arena, Not which is a physical well, yeah, event that we, was empty. We, it must have been demoralising, we quite sad. 12 months, so I just... I look back. I, I mean, I I didn't get too stressed out about it. My 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 wife, wife who you know we worked together, she was extremely stressed, bless her, about it, and more realistic than probably I was. <laughs> I like crisis a little bit. So, and and I look back at it now, and yeah, clearly, first two months, three months in, we we were like, what are we going to do here? This is this is not good. Um, furlough was a, a, an absolute lifesaver, of course. Um, and and as it happened, it it, it it all worked out. We became a vaccination centre for nine months, uh, 115,000 vaccinations across that period. You know, we have a, a great partner in, uh, excuse the plug, Virtue Motors and, uh, and and Robert Robert Forrester who came in and took the name and rights of the venue. Um, the Newcastle College kept going throughout the period and they're an anchor tenant of the venue. So the education was still going. Uh, we had a we had a um, a military academy move in for six months who couldn't get into their venue, so so they were teaching at the venue for that period of time. So we just found a way entrepreneurially, I suppose. I was just about to. The, so that's what entrepreneurs do when there's a challenge. You don't get too depressed by it. Just find a way through. There's always a way through, and ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. I think getting past the question, you know, from a staffing perspective, I think they can be the biggest gut-wrenching situations that you ever that you ever face, yeah. and, and also the most heartwarming situations that you ever face in in terms of staff and looking after people. It's a heavy burden. It really is. Um, you know, the three of us are all responsible for people's mortgages, salaries, families, all the rest of it, uh, and when things go wrong. It's uh, it's really difficult, and when things go right, it's brilliant and beautiful. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing better than a productive team. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, when you know you've got good people around you, and they're and they're working hard, and they're they're working as hard as you want them to work, because we've all got our own perspectives on how hard we think everybody else should work. Because, but we we've got a different stake, ultimately. Yeah. Um, you know, it's our, it's our, it's in our bones, I suppose. You know, um, and, and, and that's, that doesn't apply to the rest of the workforce in the same way. So, in terms of challenges, obviously, COVID was a massive challenge. But what other challenges have you faced as entrepreneurs? What's been your biggest challenge? Paul's giggling so slightly because I think he's got about it's a thousand. Financial, million. isn't it? <laughs> financial is always, you know, you run a sports team uh, and you, you hear all the all the cliches, like, you know, turn a billionaire into a millionaire and all of that sort of thing. <laughs> and the sports team. Um, so we, we we have a very strange business model where the money's out the door before you've even played your first game because you've signed your players and you just don't know how it's going to go ultimately, you know. So it's a precarious business model. So I would always, always say, you know, what I needed to have in my locker when I took the business over was better financial control, better financial understanding, 
which I, I feel I do now. Still not as good as it could be, but um, yeah, that's that's absolutely number one for me. And for you, Sarah, what's been your biggest oh. challenge? Um, well, I mean, there's nothing been as big as COVID for for us as an events company, but we we have had challenges with sort of growing because when you're small and you take on clients, you need more people, you know, to deliver, but yet you don't want to take the risk of hiring the people until you've got the money coming in. So you you basically are constantly on a kind of up and down trajectory of not having enough people and then maybe fearing that you've got too many people and you're not charging enough out for, for those people. But I think luckily we've now got to the position where we can afford to invest a little bit in the team. So we're we're now scaling up slightly more so that we we are ready for those and now we can practically go for the growth, which makes it a bit more settled because previously it's like, we'll go for it. And then as soon as we get them, we're like, oh God, we need to hire someone else. Where are we going to get them? And really you're not going to get someone delivering for a client for two or three months, you know, in terms of sort of once they've been onboarded and, and learned the way that we do things and so on. So, yeah, so that's definitely been an up and down challenge for us is that myself and Catherine always get pulled back into the delivery. And then when that happens, you take your eye off the growth of the business or the new business development because you're so busy squirreling away delivering. So I think it's just an up and down sort of, yeah, curve for us. And Chris and your five businesses, Whoa, what's been... Um, you can't have five challenges, had, by the I've way. Had, I've had a few. <laughs> um, I think the most challenging time for me was uh, selling the, the first business, uh, selling Room 501, because it was my baby. Uh, and, you know, I cared for it and nurtured it and loved it and, you know, grew it uh, and eventually sold it and it wasn't mine anymore. And, you know, you sell a business and you learn and you, you learn so much about yourself in that process and the business what you've created basically because you know it doesn't happen overnight it's a long you know protracted process of negotiations they don't just give you the money you know despite what everybody thinks you don't just get the money uh, the next day you've got a you've got an earn out uh, and that's you know pretty much how most businesses get sold nowadays uh, that earn out's connected to profitability you've then got to go work for the man which ah oh, I, I hated I was miserable. Uh, I wasn't myself. It affected my health, and you know, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty grim and challenging. But we get through it. So that was my biggest one, definitely. So you got through it, and then you did start it all again. <laughs> well, I got yeah, I got. <laughs> but you'll never sell it. This way, just stay. Does does that business still operate? No, it went, and uh, unfortunately not. Um, it, how, uh, how did you feel about that? I think when I'm being really candid, when I when I left that business, it kind of it, you know it was it, it was going to fail. It was always going to fail because the business was pretty much me. Um, and that, that seems pretty big headed to say, but um, uh, BQ is is the, the reason why this business in particular bought bought our company, you know, and it pretty much was me. Uh, as well as some really other talented people in the team at the time, and that kind of just you know disappeared. You know, and kind of, kind of walked out the door with me. I think, uh, and the track keep it going for for some time, but didn't didn't keep it successfully going. It was losing money. So yeah, mm. unfortunately, it's not there anymore. Yeah, I do remember that being great publication. Oh, thank you. Yeah. One of the things we like to ask our guests on this podcast is about where they go to to get inspiration because you need that motivation and energy to keep going. So, do you listen to podcasts? Do you look for 
books or speakers? Is there anything that's in particular that's resonated with you that you think I'm going to save that little nugget? I just think because I'm an events person, I just love going out and talking to people and listening to as many stories as I can listen to. Loads of them have been through the Entrepreneurs Forum events and, and other conferences we've run. There's been brilliant speakers that we've had and come across. And But it's sometimes just those conversations you have when you meet someone, you know, like, like you know, when, when, when we might meet again or whatever and what we might talk about. And I just think there's always something you can learn from everyone that you meet entrepreneur or not entrepreneur, by the way, because a lot of people are in amazing jobs in other businesses and I can learn loads from them as well. So I think it's just keeping an open mind to what else is out there and what other people are doing. Try not to be closed into your world too much. Yeah. So get out there and talk to lots of people yeah. and see I where it take takes you. recommendations and I really want them in it called The Inside Advantage. It's a little Americanized, but it is actually quite good. Um, our accountants at Blue Sky recommend it. So yeah, um, I always try and try different things that people recommend yeah, and see what, what's out there. So. For one of the people that really inspired me was Fab. Flournay, he came and did a talk and he was incredible with his energy and the story from his beginning days to becoming this amazing player manager. He must have inspired you. Yeah, very much so. Very uh, much a Mr. Motivator type of guy. Um, And, and, you know, there's there's lots of other um, individuals in in our organisation that um, are very similar to Fab. You know, players can be extremely inspiring uh, people I, I i don't know what it is that makes them that way but uh um you know we we um we get a lot of energy from the guys and the girls now coming in training uh playing you know bouncing off them on a on a daily basis they're maybe not carrying our emails <laughs> and all the and all the nasty stuff we see on a daily basis you know they're quite clear-minded you know they, they, they have a very very much a single goal so we all we all do bounce off that uh, a lot, and then for me personally, um, when I when I get downtime, it's downtime. So it probably won't be listening to podcasts so much. It'll be box sets and that sort of thing. Um, I I get my inspiration not similar to, to yourselves from from other people. I get my inspiration from watching other events because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, I see a lighting system or something like that. Wish I could afford. <laughs> try, try and do our own. Speaking to other yeah. other basketball teams around yeah, the country yeah, and go. Sure. Well, what a yeah, we're always yeah. taking things off each other. So um, you know, we'll, we'll 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 make our own Heath Robinson solution. <laughs> Have you watched Ted Lasso? Uh, yeah, bits and pieces. Yeah, bits and pieces. I actually the ones I really like. Um, you know the the. Um, the most current one would be this is Wrexham, <laughs> right in the other Ryan Reynolds series. I like the um, I like the football ones. Peter Crouch did a good one recently with Dulwich Hamlet, where they're sort of behind the scenes, not in the big clubs, mm-hmm. not in the big corporate monsters, but the ones that are a little like ourselves. They're trying to take from you know uh, Northern League Division Three through to you know to the to the National League and, and onwards, and they're fighting the same battles we are. They're trying to. Pl- build an audience space, they're trying to find sponsors, mm-hmm. they're trying to cut the grass, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, that that's I, they do inspire me. I do enjoy those. I bet they make you laugh as well at times. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do. It's a little close to home, a little close to home. But, uh, <laughs> and how about you, Chris? Where do you go for inspiration? Uh, everywhere. 
everywhere and anywhere. I do listen to some podcasts, but but, but not as many as I'd like to. I'm currently listening to um, Rich Dad Poor Dad at the moment, which uh, which is good. I get inspiration from my father, from my mother, from my wife, uh, kids, my colleagues at work. Um, you know, people I know within my network. So whether it's you know, Terry Laybourne or whether it's John Adamson or, you know, yeah. uh, and, you know, these are really hardworking individuals. Yeah. And so they're, they're all very inspiring people as well. Yeah. Um, and lots of others just like them. So, uh, I try to take inspiration from, from as many sources as possible because you, you, you know, you, you've got to. You know, you, you've got to be inspired and you've got to keep going, haven't you? It's a tough job being an entrepreneur. They're great examples as, as well of people that are still working, like, at, at the coal face. Oh, I mean, you'll see John yeah. on the dirt oh, stand. Yeah, on a Saturday morning. Nothing better. Yeah. He loves it. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. And I love him for it. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> well, John is, it's because John's the owner of Ramside Estate, so the, yes. all the hotel group around here. Yeah. He's actually speaking at our conference oh. coming up quite soon, so that's going to yeah. be a lot of fun. He's, he's, he's probably the hardest working man in the North East. He's unbelievable. We'll get him working in the breaks, though, won't we? We were salvaging. John, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> so some of our listeners will be aspiring entrepreneurs who maybe are working in corporate, maybe they're students. What? piece of advice would you give people who haven't started their entrepreneurial journey yet? Paul, I'm looking at you. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, be, be relentless, really. Don't give up. Um, I've, I've always said in speeches that I do that, um, you know, th th there's this phrase that says you've got to fail to succeed, and I, I just don't want to fail in the first place. I probably have failed on a, on a number of occasions, sort of micro style you know what i mean but uh for me it's no, no i'm not going to accept failure because you know you, you hear the stats of businesses that fold in the first year or two years well my motivation is that's not going to happen and that's the drive entrepreneurially that you need to to make things work and and grow a business ultimately so it's just yeah it's be relentless really for me sarah oh i think Talk to as many people as you can and don't be fearful. Going back to what I said before about feeling like you don't know anything and people are going to sort of look down at you or something. Because especially in this region, if that's what we're talking about, that's not really the case. Everyone's really supportive. There's loads of um, advice and guidance that's free out there that you can get as well. So I think go and explore that. Make connections. If you meet someone, take them up on the offer to have the cup of coffee. Try and do a bit of research into what you want to ask them, you know, and find out what, what they might be able to help you with and over that coffee. So just make the most of opportunity, I think. But also make sure that you set up a business properly from the start so you get your finances in order and you you know you set up a bookkeeping system whether it be an online you know zero there's so many of them now that make it much easier to run a business than keeping paper copies of everything and then losing everything when it comes to your time so i think there's a lot of people that think oh yeah i'll just keep it i'll just that'll be fine i'll do that when it comes around and then it's like, oh okay yeah no that wasn't that sensible so i'm helping uh, talk to people at the moment about setting up i like, just get the fine because it's not difficult. You just have to do it from the start. Be organised. Yeah, be organised. Um, yeah, because I guess there can be a tendency to run away with your idea. So you're running before you can walk almost. So yeah. 
mean, there's not a huge amount that you have to set up, though. Like you were saying before, to set up a business is quite quick. Me and Catherine sat at her kitchen table and registered the business in five minutes. We're like, okay, uh, what do we do? <laughs> what do we do now? So you know, it, it's not difficult if you if you if you work out and find out how to do it. But it's just doing, you know, making sure the processes are there to make it easier for yourself. I think um, not everyone might operate like that. <laughs> Chris, any nuggets of inspiration uh, for budding entrepreneurs? Yeah, just just bloody give it a go. You know, uh, the amount of people that don't give it a go for fear of failure mm. or um, because they're comfortable, um, got a good job or whatever it may well be. Mm. And it's absolutely true, you know, but, but you can always get another job. That's what I've yeah. always said to myself. That was always what I said as well. Yeah. Well, I know that if this doesn't go right, I can go and get a job somewhere. So we'll be fine. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's nice not having a boss. <laughs> it's nice <laughs> not having a boss, isn't it? <laughs> um, and it isn't, you know, if things fall flat of the arse, then, you know, you can you can do something else. But but if you don't try, you're never going to know. And actually, I think the risk is, depending on what the business is, of course, because some businesses need loads of finance to set up. But in my instance, it's a service business, so you didn't really have any setup costs. So the risk is very minimal. So, you know, what I did is I had, so I actually had employment on the side for some of the time. So I had part-time jobs. I was delivering events for other people. Um, and then I was sort of had my own clients separately. So that worked really well for me for the first two or three years. It just meant that I knew I had some income coming in, but I could then try and develop my client portfolio, which wasn't a competitive, you know, um, thing anyway. So it worked well for me that so yeah. that helps people feel like they're not jumping ship and they suddenly have no revenue. To yeah. Them. And you know, there's lots of, you know, and I think more so now than ever. And there's lots of uh, people that have got side hustles, for want of a better word, where they're working full time but they've got something else on the go. And that's a great way to do it as well. So, you know, if you can still get your wage coming in to cover the mortgage and to feed the kids as well as develop something uh on the side as long as your employer obviously agrees with that uh then you know go for it because it's a great way to prove success or or failure as well well some great advice there thank you and we're getting towards the end of this podcast now i know time flies (laughs) and so we're gonna fly forward in time to your 70th birthday parties so imagine a room full of all your friends and your family, and I'm going to ask you what are people going to be saying about you, about your career to date and your life to date. <laughs> so I know that you know in, in the preparation you were saying, oh, there was something written down saying you know entrepreneurs never never stop, and I think that's I think that's sort of right. But I, my ambition is to get to a point where I can leave the business, you know, running well for, for others, um, whether they take it on or, or whatever happens in the future. And then I know that I'll be busy doing loads of stuff, but I'm not actually sure I'll be necessarily running another business. I don't know if I'm going to be on my sixth business, like Chris, for example. I think I'm probably more likely to set up, do more charity work, like get involved with community stuff, try and lead some change in some areas. We're big at the moment at Beacon House on our ESG strategy, and it's a big driver for me. I, I love that stuff. And I, I'm really inspired by what we can achieve even as a small business and how we can help society and environment and so on so i think i'll be doing those sorts of, so i think people will say she's always on the go and absolutely running round ragged but hopefully also they think that i've been a good friend and you know i've got close relationships with my family my kids and because for me the important thing about running a business was a lifestyle that i could still see my children and i wasn't out of the house for 
you know, 15 hours a day and having nannies left, right and centre. So that's been really important to me. And so I also hopefully they're still talking to me when I'm 17. <laughs> I'm truly just wanting money, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, mum. <laughs> and how about you, Paul? Um, so I think it would be, uh, you're a bit of a pain. <laughs> but, but we're inspired by um, uh, you, your passion for what you do. <clears throat> and... Um, and that you've achieved everything you said you would, and and the, you know the people that you know I work with all, all know that that I again back to what we were saying earlier. Right, that we I set I, I set projects within what we do. It's a cyclical business. We start a season and we play a number of games, and then the season stops, and then we do it all over again. And I've done that twenty six times now. But within that, we as as we talked about, you, you try to find different things to do. So I've been chairman of the league. I've been built a building, set a charity up. Um I want to extend the building now. So that's the that's the leading drive. Um this is the next uh, part in the jigsaw. So I think I think really just yeah at 70. And he's really good at golf. That's my other project that I'm working on. Yeah. And he's a five handicap. At <laughs> <laughs> <Like> 70. <laughs> Excellent. Chris, will you have a five handicap at uh, 70 or have you got other things that people will be talking about? I absolutely love to have a five handicap at 70, but uh, I suspect people are just saying, thank God he's gone. Um, and uh, I shall be on my nut farm in France because that's that's the dream. Yeah, um, That's what we're doing it for, um, the nut farm in France. So if I reach the uh, lovely age of 70, then yeah, I think, I think my... my, my, my Folks will be really proud. I think um, my wife, she's she's my rock. She really is. She'll probably say, hey, tap the stop now um, and uh, go and enjoy something else. Motorbiking down, you know, the full length of America, through South America. That's all I like to do. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine it. Uh, I'm not a big motorbike fan. <laughs> They scare me. <laughs> I might just ride my pedal bike behind <laughs> you. That's why I was thinking. Try and keep up. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Great. Thank you. It's been fantastic. Great yeah, to hear all your you. stories. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Tune in next time for another exciting cast of entrepreneurs. Thank you.